You love Seth Godin as much as I do. Trust do. me, anybody Excellent. looking, the, the crew is kind of giggling to themselves right now because I quote him about five times oh, every day. There you go. Yeah. I was like, oh man, someone's going to put something on social media about how I use three of his quotes in my presentation. <laughs> anyway, shout out to you, Seth. Welcome to MVP, the marketer's most valuable perspective, recording here live at Optus Stadium for State of Social 2022. My name is Mike Drysdale. I am your host, General Manager of Dear Storyteller, and joining me for the next 20 minutes as we deep dive into her most valuable marketing perspectives is the country manager of Nextdoor Australia, Jenny Sager. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. How was that? You've just walked off stage. You've delivered your your content. You've told us all about <laughs> Next Door Australia. Um, what was the experience like? I think actually walking here this morning to Optus Stadium, I was like, I was thinking about my kids because I was like, God, this is where State of Origin was played <laughs> last year. And now like I'm walking in here. That's pretty cool. It's such a great venue for a conference. So that's really cool. But um, it's just great to see so many people in person again. I think yeah. just, you know, a couple of years of virtual conferences exhausted everyone and to see a room full of, I think it's about 600 people today is really awesome. Well, that's that's something that I actually wanted to get into because the podcast is called The Most Valuable Perspective. And I think that there's something really interesting about Nextdoor Australia and how much it is oriented around bringing people together in real life, mm. which is not something that would have necessarily been easy over the last two years. <laughs> that's um, true. How has that affected the business? Has it affected the business? And and in what ways, like what are the keys to actually fundamentally convincing people post-pandemic to meet in real life? Is it easy? Is it harder than expected? What's the what's the deal? Yeah, well, I think one of the great things about Nextdoor was for people that don't know, Nextdoor was originally created 12 years ago to combat social isolation and loneliness. So we didn't need to change the the product at all when COVID happened. So many companies pivoted and had to do something different. What we saw before COVID and during COVID is that when there's a time of crisis, people turn to their local community. So I would give the example in Australia of the bushfires, which happened before COVID, where at the time we had been in Australia for less than a year. And when the bushfires happened, all of a sudden we saw signups and content just like tripling overnight because people were needing evacuation information. They were needing help from their neighbors to, you know, get things taken care of in their house. Some people were away on holidays. They needed to move furniture or things out of their home. So who are they going to get to do that? So we knew already globally that people turned to community and their neighbors in times of crisis, but we really saw it come into effect during the bushfires. And then we rolled straight from the bushfires into COVID. And we yeah, saw, you know, after disaster know, in 2020 gosh, for sure. wasn't it tough for all of us? <laughs> My gosh. Um, but we saw in that first year of COVID, we had about a 300% growth in signups that first year. I mean, it was in incredible. And same, similarly with our content, like the engagement stats were off, off the charts. And what's happened now that life's kind of back to normal is we actually didn't see that come off the cliff. Like we are still maintaining that higher level of engagement. And in fact, it's higher than it was during COVID mm. and that accelerated growth. And I think it's because it's true what you said, where people kind of became reclusive and, and were indoors more obviously and online more. But I think at the same time, people realize the value of personal connection. And that's something that hasn't changed now that we're out the other side. Was there a period where it changed from needs-based in-person kind of stuff to more wants-based, like so, sort of community and just socializing? Yeah, definitely. I think in the beginning of COVID, it was very much needs-based where it was just wanting vaccine information, wanting to know lockdown restrictions, you know, things like that. 
And then once we saw people getting that information from the government and other places, you definitely saw it change a little bit to actually like, I'm even lonelier than I was before. Like I'm mm. missing that connection. We saw things like virtual book clubs starting, virtual coffee groups. So all these things that on next door people usually do in person, yeah. offline, they were still finding ways to do them online, which was really cool. But it was obvious that that social connection was needed more so than ever before. And there must have been like an exciting point for those people who had built those communities online virtually to meet in person for the first time as oh, well. Absolutely. And that was true even of our staff. I mean, I had so many new people start doing COVID that they actually met for the first time last night. Mm. We flew to Perth together <laughs> and they met for the first time in person last night. I thought, isn't this wild? Distributed workforces. Um, hey, to change tact a little bit, You've worked with the likes of Twitter, NBC, ABC, CBS, MTV, every three-letter acronym under the sun, <laughs> uh, Discovery, and Australia's Nine Network here at home. How did working across so many global media companies position you to be successful in what you're doing now with Nextdoor Australia? I think there's a combination of things. I think one of them was probably less the companies I worked for and more the experience that I had continuously of like making something out of nothing, mm. you know, like whether it was a TV show or Twitter, I was one of the first few employees in Australia. And then I ended up over years taking on a regional role because it was always about like building something from scratch, you know, and how do you scale it and how do you make that growth happen quickly? And so I think it was less about the company and more about that experience, which is so rare. And I'm so lucky that I have that and that ability, to be honest, too, of like coming in and going, oh my God, we have to start from ground zero and like turn this into something, you know, Do you think there are any, I like a challenge. <laughs> I like that as well. Do you think that there are any key tenants to um, creating something from nothing, starting from scratch, any key principles, things, patterns that you've recognized? Definitely, the time? definitely. First of all, like you've got to hustle. I mean, you've got to be somebody who you're not you're not embarrassed or worried about like getting scrappy, yeah. right? Like you've got to roll up the sleeves and make it happen. And I think you can't come in with an ego or an attitude. You've got to try a bunch of different things and creative things to make it stick, but also lean into your strengths. You know, mm. if I think back to those moments when I was the only person for the first nine months at Nextdoor, you know, trying to grow a, a platform in this country, I also obviously had to lean into what I was good at. And so it was working those relationships and those stories from both my media background and, and the tech background of just figuring out like, okay, what, where, where can I make this really resonate with people and then listen to their feedback. And I think people forget to listen, you mm -hmm. know, and just listening into those super engaged users, like I was just talking about before, and taking that on board and going, hey, these are people that instantly latched onto our product. We've got to figure out a way to serve this better and making sure that that happens. Um, a politician here in Perth recently declared that there had been a collapse of community life in Australia. That was in response to the current state of affairs around charities and volunteer organisations. Do you think... The community life is collapsing in Australia? No. And in fact, we have data and research that shows the complete opposite. So one of the stats that you just made me think about is we actually ran our own surveys to neighbours across Australia. And what we, found, what we found out from it, what came back was that 70% of Australians actually want to help more in their own community. And mm. then we even looked at what ways, whether that was like just volunteering or whether that was, you know, mentoring or actually financially helping. So that's pretty powerful. That's the exact opposite of what he's saying. Like 70% actually want to give back in their local community more. Do you more. think that there's a disconnect somewhere that in, in ways in which they're not able to or there's a lack of accessibility? Or is like is the way in which we're helping just evolve to a point that isn't being measured by these organisations? 
national by the government? I think there's definitely a lack of knowledge of how to help. And I think part of that comes from the bureaucracy of the government. So I do think it's really hard, even at the local council level, to get them to actually just do something different and to think out of the box and to go, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll try that. It's like, nobody wants to be the first. And we even find this with Nextdoor, where we do work with a lot of local councils, and there are ones that come on but my gosh, the hundreds and hundreds of meetings with others where you go, hey, this is a free service. It's totally free. And you can be talking to residents in your area who, by the way, have amazing feedback for council of, you know, ideas you have or things they want to see change. And they're like, but wait, you know, we use, we use Facebook and you're like, yeah, you can still use that. But by the way, this <laughs> is going to actually connect you with the people in your actual LGA, you know, and they're just like, it's so hard to, to break that bureaucracy and that antiquated way of thinking. Last question before we just jump into some quick fires to, to finish the podcast. You've been great. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Um, I wonder, do you do you know off the top of your head, you might not, um, what the average age of the user on Nextdoor Australia is? Well, we don't capture age data. Okay. So I don't know the average age, but one thing I would say that makes me really happy about Nextdoor, and this is true globally, is that we do have a really big portion of users that are 65 plus. Mm. And, you know, these are people that don't necessarily feel safe going on some of the other platforms. Some people have never even like used the internet before. There was a great post from a 90-year-old in Australia a couple months ago where she literally said in her post, I can't believe I'm on an online platform. I don't even use the internet. My daughter had to help me. I'm 90 years old, but I just want to connect with the local community. Yeah. We've also seen one of my other favorite ones was from a, a Chinese immigrant who was very broken English. And he said, I'm really sorry for my English, but I've actually always felt too embarrassed to do to post on wow. any social media in Australia, wow. but I want to get to know people in my neighborhood. And so I'm really proud of being able to break out of that typical demographic for social media and, and I think that's so powerful and I think that's really interesting because if you go on down the line of pretty much every social media, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, they have all started young and aged up. Is there any kind of ambition for Nextdoor to age down in time? Well, we don't need to age down because we're already there. So we already have, you know, the majority of our users are definitely in that, I'd say, 35 to 55 bracket. And then we obviously have, as I mentioned, like a big proportion older than that, but also the younger demographic as well. We see a lot of uni students, for example, on Nextdoor because they can earn a lot of extra cash on Nextdoor. They can furnish their apartments for free and things like that. But I think, again, going back to why Nextdoor was created, and that was to combat social isolation and loneliness and build those true meaningful relationships, there's a lot of investment and, for myself, a, a personal mission of actually helping both sides of that age bracket combat that. So, We've seen the loneliness stats with the younger demo, with the teenagers and young 20-somethings, and we know the loneliness stats for the elderly. And so we're really working on how can we work with aged care, for example? How do we work with the universities and the, the psychologists and the therapists that work with that younger demo to help them combat those issues? And so I'd say it's less about you know what you think about with some of the, the big players like the Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snap, as you mentioned, about, well, how can we earn profit off of those demos? <laughs> and for us, it's actually, how can we make a social impact and actually make sure that we're helping them improve that mental health and well-being? Love that. Um, I'm going to ask you some sort of quick fire questions now uh, that we're hopefully going to be able to ask every guest along the way. Question number one is, where do you go to learn more about marketing? 
Oh my gosh. I go to so many places. First of all, I have to say our global CEO is a total bookworm and she literally sends out like a new book to read every week. And <laughs> when I first started next door, I was like frantically going on Amazon every week and like buying the book that she recommended. And then I realized they were just piling up. <laughs> so I think you also have to remind yourself to take breaks and read something for fun or mm-hmm. listen to a podcast yes. for fun. I'm an avid podcaster. I listen to a ton of podcasts because that's really digestible for Any me. Any personal favorites? Oh, marketing wise mm-hmm. or, oh, I don't, or I don't have like a, personal development. I do love business wars. Yeah. That's a great business one. Wars. Have you heard of that no. one? So they take two brands. So say um, McDonald's and Burger King, and then they talk about, so they're two brands competing with each other and they basically look at, what they have both have done right or wrong and how they have beaten one another at various times in their journey. I think that one's really great. Um, I usually type someone's name in, so I'll type in somebody I really admire in the business world and just listen to whatever podcast they've been on. Um, And then I guess just for- You love Seth Godin as much as I do. Trust do. me, anybody Excellent. looking, the, the crew is kind of giggling to themselves right now because I quote him about five times oh, every day. There you go. Yeah. I was like, oh man, someone's going to put something on social media about how I use three of his quotes in my presentation. <laughs> anyway, shout out to you, Seth. Um, and then I think for like personal pleasure, I love Dax, Dax Shepard's podcast because he gets such a good so mix good. of guests and talks to them about so many interesting things about their personal journey. Love that. Uh, Question number two, what's a small brand you love and why? Oh, a small brand I love and why. How small? How small are we talking? As as small or as as medium as you want to go. I'm going to go with a local coffee brand because next door is obviously all about neighborhoods and local business is such a, a part of that. So in my local neighborhood, there's a brand called Split Coffee that actually started as a just a coffee truck. Mm-hmm. So it was just a guy from the neighborhood who would park his truck down at the beach and serve coffees. And the community embraced it so much that then he opened a brick and mortar shop. Amazing. So then he got the coffee shop. It's still the van. And then last year he actually got so big that he had to knock down walls and build a little cafe off of it. And I just thought, how awesome is that to see what started as a little coffee van scale into a shop and now a cafe. Now they're making t-shirts and hoodies and selling their own beans and all this stuff. So big, big shout out to Split Coffee. You feel like you've been part of the journey as well. That's very cool. Uh, If you could spend four hours with any marketer or business person in the world, who would you choose and why? Oh, You know, this is a tricky one because we recently started our own podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a global next door podcast called Where Kindness Lives. And I'm actually the host of it, even though it's global, it's not just Australian. And so recently I've spoken to some really great people in the marketing space. Um, One of them was Guy Kawasaki, if you know him. Yes. Um, Another one is James Ree. And so I feel like I've had a lot of time recently to actually talk to some of the, the best marketers. But my gosh, we were just sitting here talking about Seth Godin. So I guess I'd have to say, you know, <laughs> let's like, both get him was, on our podcast. That's right. <laughs> even as I was asking the question, I was like, oh, I know what the answer to this one is. That actually reminds me of a, a question that I had specifically to, for you as well. That you're hosting Where Kindness Lives, the podcast for Next Door Australia. And you've taken quite an active personality-driven role as the Australian leader of the company. But as you just mentioned, that is global. What are the pressures of being the face of a brand like Nextdoor Australia? What is that like for you? That's a good question. I never actually, I don't feel pressure from it because I think I genuinely relate to the company's mission and purpose that I don't actually feel pressure about being the face of the company because I genuinely care. Mm. And I think I always feel that way with whatever roles I take. It's really important to me to be 
to believe in what the brand I'm working for is doing. I'm not the kind of person that can just kind of take a paycheck and a title for any brand. Like I have to truly connect with that brand. And so I don't really feel that pressure. And I think like, I've had a lot of people say to me, oh my God, like, isn't it scary to be a podcast host? Like you're doing it. I'm like, no, you're just having a conversation with somebody, you know? And I think that also comes from the media background as well as like, you could talk endlessly. <laughs> it's I fine. That. I love that. Okay, last two questions. Can you think of um, a, a major public opinion that recently flipped where you felt marketing or communications played a crucial role? Perhaps it's even something that happened on Nextdoor Australia, a conversation that happened. You said in, in public opinion that flipped because of marketing. I mean, I think um, Adam showed a great example of that with the Katy Perry menu log ad because my god I was watching those games and I was like everyone had actually had a party at my house and everyone was like oh my god no not this Katy Perry ad again and I did love seeing them flip that I saw the Wendell Saylor ones afterwards and I loved seeing that response and I Mm. thought that's so clever right and that's what we all talk about of like leaning into the moment and not going oh shit we really messed that up you know instead going okay, well, we messed that up, Mm -hmm. but how can we actually Mm -hmm. use that to our benefit, you know? Acknowledging the cultural conversation, but then also kind of embracing weakness as a a brand positioning tool. I think that's something that Adam's talked about a lot in the past, and that was sort of it in action, which is really cool. Last question. When you think of the term prized possession, Mm. what's the first branded thing that you own that comes to mind? Okay, this is funny. This is not, there's a few things I travel a lot like for Mm -hmm. work and in my personal life. And there's a few things that I feel like everyone feels like is a prized possession to travel with like AirPods or, you know, things like that. It's like, but you know, they're just kind of part of life now. But (laughs) I don't know why I'm telling you this I love this. There is this um, hairbrush actually, which it's quite funny because it's a great marketing story that three weeks ago, this is a new product in my life. Three weeks ago, one of my girlfriends bought this hairbrush and then posted in a WhatsApp group that we're all in and said, oh my God, like I just bought this thing, 65 bucks. It's going to change your life. Look at my hair. It's so amazing. It's going to change your life. And then one of my other friends, like two days later was like, oh my God, I ordered it. It is amazing. Look at my hair. It's amazing. And then you saw in two weeks, it go throughout my whole circle of friends. Everyone now has one. Even all of our kids were like, why do you guys all have the same brush? And when I think about it from a marketing standpoint, they did a really good job. So the company's name is Bondi Boost. They yes. make nothing but hair products. Okay. Never heard of them in my entire life until three weeks ago. But what they do is they're really good at following up all the time with discount codes. So what has since happened is that I, I haven't done this yet, but my other girlfriends who are a couple of weeks ahead of me on this hairbrush journey have now bought multiple products from them. They can't stop buying their products. They're like, oh my God, did you see? I got another 30% off code from them today for some hair hair serum or something. That's great with the the brush. It just keeps going. And I'm like, gosh, they are doing something right where they're combining really good incentive, where they're obviously sending discount codes. Incredible word of mouth, obviously. Word of mouth. But they've also balanced the amount of emails and things that you get from them perfectly. Because I think if you overdo it as a brand, and we see so many brands do this, where all of a sudden it gets spammy, right? You're getting all these things in your email inbox and you're like, oh God, I wish I never bought this from them. Unsubscribe, whatever. But they've balanced, they found that cadence perfectly where it's about every, I'd say, 
six days or so where they're hitting people and going, oh, by the way, we also have this product and here's why you should use it. They clearly know their audience and they're being really clear. It's a simple email. It's just, here's your discount code. Here's three reasons why you're going to like this product. And all of my friends are buying it. Wow. And I'm like, man, what is this? And the power of group chats. The power of group <laughs> chats. Oh my gosh. Um, that is all the time that we have for this today, but I have had a fantastic time talking to Jenny. It's just talking to another person. That's all podcast hosting person. is. Yeah, that's um, it. Thank you yeah. so much for joining us. Thanks it's for Social me. 2022. Thank you for your wisdom and your insights and your talk and for joining us here on MVP, the marketer's most valuable podcast. Thank you. Uh, make sure that you subscribe to us on Spotify or whatever other podcast platform you're listening on. Give us a five-star rating and review or whatever your truthful rating and review is as well. And we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much and talk soon.